uh, talking a little bit more about just what we've learned from from Scott and Liliana, and would love to get your guys' perspectives too um, on this. Really, in fact, I'd probably be good to, to even start like that, um, just because I think we've learned so much through um, through them and how they've the Lord's grace on them, and and just so much to to learn and think about. And I, to to Scott, it seems like. One of the things that's been the most encouraging things to him is seeing the Romans eight twenty eight, God working things together for good, good being the sanctification of the believer, conforming us to the image of Christ. I think that's been one of the most encouraging things to him is to hear other people grow as uh, they've as we've seen just the Lord's very gracious, tender, loving compassionate hand through the through the whole thing and so um hopefully this would certainly honor both scott and Liliana, but more than that to really give glory glory to the lord um josh would you pray uh for us we'll start like that and then lord willing get to the end of chapter nine and beginning of chapter 10 father thank you for giving us this day and thank you for scott and Liliana. the way that um, Liliana lives such a beautiful and excellent obedient life unto you. I pray that you'd be with our study today, be with our main service, and I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thanks. These were 15 things to, to learn from here that uh, went with uh, um, kind of a, a phrase or two that goes with some scripture, so love to you to follow along with the scripture if you would like, um, and, and we'll read these. But um, I ran these by Tyler and Josh and Steve and Alan and uh, a number of people just to make sure that they weren't out of context. And so if they are, uh, forgive us for that. I, I think they're not, I think when Tyler goes through and changes some things and does things, that's usually a good sign. So I think that's what, that, that helped them out a little bit. But number one was as Scott and Liliana trusted um, and God's people fought anxiety with prayer. God showered a perfect peace that surpasses all understanding on them. And uh, that's Isaiah. I won't ask you to look up all of these. I'll read just some of them, then I'll ask you to look up some of them. But I love Isaiah 26, 3 and 4, and I think we've seen it in, in Scott here. The steadfast of mind you will keep in perfect peace because he trusts in you. Trust in the Lord forever. For in God the Lord, we have an everlasting rock. And then, of course, Philippians 4, 6, and 7. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. I only saw Loyana three times while she was um, suffering. Um, but, boy, all three times there was that huge peace that surpasses all understanding written all over. That was a huge, huge encouragement. Let me ask you guys this, and and, and maybe if you guys don't mind starting while y'all are thinking on this, but what do you think, Grant, if you had to say one thing where you just say, boy, this is what the Lord would have us learn from the last eight weeks? Maybe Josh should start. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, wow. I, I think there are so many things. I know that many in this room were at the funeral service yesterday, but um, 
just hearing Scott share and some of the things that he highlighted stood out to me. I thought I'd just maybe even mention the one story where he was talking about Liliana's immense suffering in the hospital. And she had these low sodium levels and couldn't hardly keep anything down. She was throwing up frequently. And um, that, that story he told was so powerful that throughout all of this suffering and she never once complained never once complained she she lived on the promise that um, God is working all things together for good and and never once complained that was very striking to me I think yeah. that's just I mean one one thing among many things that we could learn boy isn't that good now, Philippians 2.14 maybe one of the you do everything without complaining or arguing yeah, Dr. Cross is that the right verse I trust you. I don't know. You don't trust me on that, Grant? What do you think? Oh, man. I don't really know what to say, but um, I think seeing Scott's uh, trust in God and almost, I mean, in the, midst of, in the face of immense suffering, his, his uh, thankfulness and wanting to highlight that. Yeah. And uh, at the end of what he said, Yesterday, he, he ended with, uh, like, everything in me blesses the Lord. Yeah. Um, and that was, just to see that amount of faith in someone and their trust and absolute assuredness of God's goodness in the face of such suffering was, was extremely stirring. Yeah. And was amazing to watch. Wow, and you talk about, if you're going to pick a verse at your wife's funeral... God is good, and what he does is good. You know, what a verse to teach from, and just so extraordinary in um, believing that. And I know he's mentioned this a couple times. Please know, and I think we'll do a more of a series on Providence um, after Christmas here, just in light of what we've learned from Scott Loyana through this. But... Um, Boy, to have that as your foundation before you go through trials. If you know that God is good and everything that he does is good, then every trial is a ton different to walk through because you know it's orchestrated by God, because you know that God's going to use it, that it's made for you perfectly, that it's for your sanctification, not to hurt you, but to grow you. And uh, when you have that foundation that Scott had so deeply, um, then he could operate in such a, he started at such a different level than if he hadn't, didn't have that foundation. What would you say, Jerry? Two things. Um, one is just before Liliana got sick, she actually wanted to do a book on gratitude, Choosing Gratitude by Nancy Lee DeMoss. And just, I don't know, I kept reading it anyways with Ashley, and it was just so amazing to see her example of living that out. And even, you know, the Thanksgiving she had to go home and see the Lord on Thanksgiving Day. Like, just learning gratitude. But the other thing, too, is the wages of sin is death. And we all prayed, we fasted for her, praying for her. How much more should we be praying and fighting like that against sin? Yeah. And be praying for this for a sin to be killed in us. I mean, yeah. it's already dead, but, you know, just 
putting off that sin that clings so closely. Well, that's good. With endurance. Yeah. Remember, Jerry, speaking in Romans 7, that body of death, you know, is the way Paul described that sin. Yeah. No, that's really good. What else do you feel like we've we've learned or could learn through through this? Yeah. I wrote down some things um, this morning just about Liliana and how Scott's message impacted me greatly yesterday um, in life and in death. Mm-hmm. In her life, um, her sweet, welcoming smile. Yeah. Just when we started visiting, she approached me and just thanked us for coming and said she was glad we were coming. And you could just see that. It was sincere, wasn't it? Mm-hmm. Those who look to the Lord are radiant. When you say, Robin, then she just radiated with that. It wasn't a fake thing. It was for real. She would ask me questions as a way to enter into my world, and she did that through our grandson, Jack. And just um, having conversations about Michael and Jack, it was just a way for her to connect with me. Um, Her invitation to book club was really special to me, and um, I, just like Jerry, got the book, Gratitude, and I've had the privilege of reading through that with my daughter, Anna. And just thoughts of, of Liliana and her gracious spirit and grateful spirit. Um, what else did I write down? Um, just her constant presence in the sanctuary showed her support for her husband and the church. Just faithfully there. You knew she was going to be there. You could speak to her coming in and leaving. And uh, she was always looking around ready to have a conversation. Um, In her death, her trusting God, the legacy of faith she leaves for all of us, her devotion to the scriptures. She's inspired me to want to read more biographies, Mm -hmm. um, to learn about the Heidelberg Catechism. I had to look that up. Um, I want to learn more about that. I want to write notes of encouragement. I want to laugh with Steve. Um, I want to always invest in children and family. And she always moved towards others. She didn't wait to be spoken to. She always moved. So Mm. too often I think we sit and wait, but we always need to move towards other people. Oh, that's good. Wow, that's a gold mine right there. Yeah, so good. Thank you. What else would you say we've learned? Jerry, I'll mention this one. You went and visited them, and you shared this a little bit yesterday, but she through her entire life, derived great enjoyment from the promises of Scripture, and she took great consolation and refreshment all the way through her last days, soaking up the promises of God, singing hymns, and rejoicing in a future hope. And um, I think that's one thing that is remarkable about her life, the way that she 
so enjoyed and was constant in the Word of God. Yeah. Well, Josh, that's good. Because if our joy is coming from Scripture, then it's always there. It's not based on our circumstances. If her joy had been based on her circumstances at all, her last seven, eight weeks, or even longer than that, really, when she started feeling badly, would have been really rough. But that wasn't her at all. Her joy was only based on on, on Christ, and on, and that doesn't ever change. So be joyful to, to the very end. No, that's that's really good. The second one um, here, the radiance of uh, the radiance, joy, and peace were so apparent in Liliana that made Second uh, Corinthians four sixteen eighteen come alive in a new way. We spent some time here yesterday, but uh, just to read them. Therefore, we don't lose heart, but though the outer man is decaying, yet the inner man is being renewed day by day. For momentary light affliction is producing for us an eternal way to glory. Far beyond comparison, while we look not to things that are seen, but to things that are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal, but the things uh, which are not seen are eternal. Um, Scott said, and, and you saw this in Liliana's mom, but um, Scott said he's never been as sorrowful, yet at the same time rejoicing. Second Corinthians 6.10 as sorrowful yet always rejoicing, as poor yet making many rich, as having nothing yet possessing everything. And you just say, that is, and, and I love this, uh, Texan Scott last week, he would say, I'm feeling less sorrow and more rejoicing, you know, as, as things went on. And I just thought, what a great testimony. Sorrowful yet always rejoicing, and those can both be true, um, and in us, and he said he had just never felt more of both of them. If you would turn to James chapter 4, Josh, have you read this for us maybe? We know this. Um, life is uh, short, for sure, and uh, birth is fatal, right? When we're born, we're going we're gonna to die unless the Lord would come back first. Life is short, so we need to live more urgently more wisely and more joyfully as we approach heaven. Would you read uh, 4, 13 to 17? And these, again, are familiar verses, but what great reminders that came to these verses from Scott and Loyana. James four thirteen. Come now, you who say, today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it for him, it is sin. Yeah. What do you think, knowing the shortness of life, or if we were better about thinking of the shortness of life, oh, the psalmist, teach me to number our days aright so we would gain a heart of wisdom. What do you think would change about our life if we really realized, and Robin, your list there would for sure fit into this. What would change if we remembered how short life really is? Maybe what should change? What would or should change? I mean, I think about, like, at the last time I saw Liliana in book club, like, 
I mean, I can be interacting with y'all today, and I could be gone tomorrow. Yep. I don't know. Car wrecks, I mean, anything could happen. <laughs> yep, that's right. And just making every interaction with others far more intentional about sharing God's goodness and glory. Yeah, good. Just to be more intentional. Super. Yeah, what else would you say? Thomas, I want to come to you on this after... Especially, what's different now than if we would ask this question when you weren't a believer? What about 14 months ago, huh? The shortness of life, what's different, would you say? Um, I was thinking of um, Philippians 3.8. More than that, I count, all, I count all things to be lost in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. Um, and just how, like, temporal, um, possessions or achievements just don't seem as valuable. Um, I was thinking of Scott, how he said that, um, when the news seemed more grim, how he was thinking about all the things he thought Liliana would miss out on, but, um, in reality, she has all the gain. Yeah. Um, and just kind of, um, uh, snapping out of that, that attitude and thinking more um, of eternal things. Well, that's great. Yep. Set your mind on things above and not on earthly things. Yeah. Really good. What else? What else would change about our life, you think? Certainly an urgency. I just think an excitement. Right? If heaven's really this close... I just think we would be far more excited and far more joyful. And, uh, you know, it's kind of like when you're looking forward to summer vacation. Those last couple of days are, you know, well, some of you have regular old jobs and don't get summer vacation. But for the rest of us that are teachers, we're thinking, man, this gets pretty fun about May 21st. Right? And you have a little bit of a different bounce in your step, just knowing it's like, man, if we're this close to heaven, because I'm with, Jerry, you were saying in book club, you know, what, nine weeks, I think, ago, Liliana is sitting up there in Roman's class and, and uh, just seems like she's going to be with us for, for a long time. And, and then uh, now in heaven and enjoying things in a whole different way. So that's a lot of fun to think about what's, what's coming there. Um, number five, at the time, only he chooses. God wants his children to come to him and experience his glory. Our pastor in Myrtle Beach always used this verse. Every funeral he was at that I went to that he did, I think. Father, I, this is John 17, 24. Father, I desire that they also, whom you have given me, will be with me. So first of all, God gave Liliana to Jesus, right? Jesus bought her at a great price. She was not her own anymore. She was bought at a price. She honored God greatly with her body um, and with all that she did. And then, you, whom you have given me to be with me where I am, so that they may see my glory, whom you have given me. For you love me before the foundation of the earth. Uh, of the earth. We quoted uh, Scott on Elizabeth Elliot, number six. He's always doing something, the very best thing, the thing that we ourselves would certainly choose if we knew the end from the beginning. He is at work to bring us to our full glory. Tyler gave some of these verses. These are really good. Philippians 2.13 
For it is God who is at work in you to both will and to work for his good pleasure. Right? Everything God does is for his good pleasure in life and in death. Um, 1 Corinthians 3.13 But we all, with unveiled face, beholding as in the mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as from the Lord the Spirit. Romans 8.28 We know that, that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love him, to those who have been called according to his purpose. And I really like Tyler adding Ephesians 5.26 and 27. So that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, and that he might present to himself the church in all her glory, having no spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she would be holy and blameless. That's a great part of the marriage um, passage. Something that we talked about, and if you would turn back a page to Romans 8, if you're already in Romans 9, but just a little bit in review here. All the suffering that Loiana and Scott endured and what Scott and Michael will continue to endure and her family and um, Bob and Phyllis, um, it'll be far worth it. Romans 8, 18. Grant, you read that for us. So, again, familiar verses, great reminders. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the... With the glory that is to be revealed to us. Yeah, it's so good. And then certainly, um, God's gift of love, number eight, God's gift of love and eternal life for Liliana started before the beginning of time, and it will never end. You want to read the golden chain for us again, Josh, just as a great reminder of how this all came about, that uh, Liliana, Ephesians 1, before the beginning of time, God chose her, um, and, um, and this is the... I guess the the process that she's gone through. Yep, eight uh, twenty nine. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. Yes. So that's. And don't you love? <laughs> Remember that uh, glorified's past tense here. Although it it hasn't happened yet for us, it's happened for Liliana. It hasn't happened yet for us, but it's such a sure thing that we know it's going to. So it's just it's a done deal. Number nine, the radiance Liliana displayed, like Robin was talking about, even in the midst of extreme uh, suffering, gave proof to this promise. Those who look to him are radiant, and their faces will never be covered, will never be ashamed. Um, I think we see that throughout our church and, and all kinds of people. Number 10, God may not take away the trial, but his grace will always be sufficient and his power made perfect in trials. We just have to go back here, if you would. Turn a few more pages to 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians 12. Again, not probably brand new passages for you, but great reminders, I think, especially in in light of what we've um, experienced here. 2 Corinthians 12, uh, 9 and 10, Grant, you want to read those guys? Sure. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weakness, says, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, 
I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Yeah. So he boasts in those weaknesses. He's content. Um, and I, I find it so um, incredible that he can say that he will boast all the more gladly of those weaknesses. Usually our weaknesses are what really bug us, but we can say, no, we can boast in those. And we can be content in insults, in hardships, and persecutions, in calamities. Boy, we've seen that um, in Scott and Liliana both. Number 11, the Lord is honored when we cry out to him in pain and suffering. Now, Mark is the expert on this one. I wish we had him in right here on this, but turn to Psalm 142. This is something I have not done well at in my life to this point, but I sure want to grow in this. Psalm 142, a fascinating um, account here from the psalmist on biblically not hiding um, our hurt from the Lord, but racing to the Lord with this. Josh, do you want to read Psalm 142? Um, it's really, really good on crying out to him. Psalm 142. With my voice, I cry out to the Lord. With my voice, I plead for mercy to the Lord. I pour out my complaint before him. I tell my trouble before him. When my spirit faints within me, you know my way. In the path where I walk, they have hidden a trap for me. Look to the right and see. There is none who takes notice of me. No refuge remains to me. No one cares for my soul. I cry to you, O Lord. I say, you are my refuge and my portion in the land of the living. Attend to my cry, for I am brought very low. Deliver me from my persecutors, for they are too strong for me. Bring me out of prison, that I may give thanks to your name. The righteous will surround me, for you will deal bountifully with me. Yeah. So he starts there in verse 2. I pour out my complaints before him. I tell my trouble before him. And, and I think Scott has um, has done that. And Liliana too. And like you said, Jerry, we prayed how much, you know, that the Lord would, would make her better. Just as Paul did. Pleaded three times with the Lord. And yet, God says, my grace is sufficient. He gives us something better than what we plea for, but take your complaints to him. Too often I think I've uh, sort of bottled up stuff and not even talked to the Lord about it. That doesn't make any sense. He knows what we're going through. Take it to him. Not at all in a uh, I think the attitude is important here. Not at all blaming God for anything for sure, but to just say Lord, I want to have a right attitude about this, but my mindset's not right here. I'm not as content as I would like to be in these troubles and and, uh, take those to the Lord. Number 12. um, Because death has lost its sting, we don't grieve like the rest of men. And, uh, oh, you have to turn here. Just back, uh, uh, well, you aren't in 2 Corinthians anymore. 1 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 15. 1 Corinthians 15, what a great passage on the resurrection. The whole chapter, really. Grant, could you read 54 to 58? 
First Corinthians 15. The whole chapter is on the resurrection. This is the last part. So good. When the perishable puts on the imperishable, and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. Good. Boy, the Lord gave Liliana victory um, on Thanksgiving a week and a half ago. And um, what are we to do? We're to be steadfast. We're to be immovable. Always abounding in the work of the Lord. Miss Robin, a lot of the list that you went through, knowing that your toil is not in vain. And that is uh, certainly what we've seen. This was from a, uh, a long time ago when kind of made this list initially. But uh, at the time, I had written that uh, God had graciously given Liliana and Scott. This is where I was a little worried. Like, well, am I taking this out of context? And, and um, they, like $25,000. But since then, I think that, that up, you know, there's been a lot more that God's given financially. And uh, Philippians 4. Um, and, and again, it's one that we could take out of context too much. But uh, in this, I think it works. 19 and 20. My God will supply all your needs according to his riches and glory in Jesus Christ. Now to our God and Father be the glory forever and evermore. Amen. Any financial hardship, God takes care of our finances. He does. He does it through his people. He does it through amazing ways. My wife and I have seen it done uh, a ton of times. God will take care of your finances. Do not worry about money. Right? The day has enough troubles of its own. Christians, number 14, will go through the deepest trials. John 16, 33. The things I've spoken to you so that in me you may have peace. In this world you have tribulation, but take heart. I have overcome the world. Job 5, 7. For man is born for trouble as sparks fly upward. We should not expect that this is going to be easy straight. Ecclesiastes 11, 1 and 2. Cast your bread on the surface of the waters, for you will find it after many days. Divide your portion to seven or even to eight, for you do not know what misfortune may occur on this earth. Ecclesiastes 7, 13 and 14. Consider the work of the Lord. Please hear this. This is so good. Consider the work of the Lord, for who is able to straighten what he has bent? In the days of prosperity, be happy. But in the days of adversity, consider. God has made the one as well as the other, so men will not discover anything that will be after him. Remember, the Lord gives and the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And then finally, Liliana's home. Philippians 1.23, I'm hard-pressed from every direction, having the desire to depart and be with Christ, which is far better. Remember 3.20, for our citizenships in heaven, Philippians, from which we eagerly await a Savior, the Lord Jesus, who will transform our bodies um, of our humble state into the conformity of the body of his glory by the exertion of power that he has given to subject all things to himself. Second Corinthians 5.8, we're of good courage, I say, and prefer rather to be absent from the body 
and to be home with the Lord. Liliana got her preference. That's what we would all preserve, per, um, prefer. We're down here right now. And like Jerry said, we may not be tomorrow, but, but for right now, but so much to, to, to look forward to um, there. Steve Krause, would you just thank the Lord? We need to get to Romans, and, and we have some good, good gems here from, uh, from Josh and Grant in Romans, but could you thank the Lord and pray for Scott and Michael especially? I don't know for sure when Liliana's family is flying back to Guatemala, but if you would pray for them um, as well. Heavenly Father, we come before your throne of grace, and we are uh, grateful to have this privilege to gather again as a church body and study your word. And we're just so um, thankful for the faithful witness and the testimony of Liliana and uh, just her love for you that just radiated out from her and through Scott and through Michael and her love for them. And we know now that she is with you, and we just pray for her. Scott and Michael, and just in the days ahead, as Liliana's family returns home, and um, the, the new transition into what life is like for them, help us as a church body to love them well and to encourage them and support them in any way that we can. Uh, we're just grateful for, um, for her faithful testimony, and may it continue, as we think about her and her life, continue to uh, help us be spurred on to love and good deeds. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, Steve. Romans 9, at the end, Josh, would you read? I want to hear from you, Grant, on the, uh, we want to hear from you on the, the application. There's some great application to this. Chapter 9 is where we're at um, in our truck through Romans. Right at the end, how about Josh reading 30 all the way to 10, verse 4. And don't let the chapter break uh, fool you here. The, the, um, the thought continues into verse 4, I think. All right, 930. What shall we say then that Gentiles who did not pursue righteousness have attained it? That is a righteousness that is by faith, but that Israel who pursued a law that would lead to righteousness did not succeed in reaching that law. Why? Because they did not pursue it by faith, but as if it were based on works. They have stumbled over the stumbling stone, as it is written, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. Brothers, my heart's desire and prayer to God for them is that they may be saved. For I bear them witness that they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. For being ignorant of the righteousness of God and seeking to establish their own, they did not submit to God's righteousness. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. Grant, what would you say? What's the, the nuggets here for us? Yeah, I think there, there are some really good points of application that are just right on the surface that we don't have to dig very far for, and they may not be exactly in line with the argument that that Paul is putting forward, but I think they're true based on what he's saying, and some of the pastors I listened to went right to him as well. Um, but we can just start in verse 30. What should we say then that Gentiles who did not pursue righteousness have attained it? That is, a righteousness that is by faith. And so coming off the heels of what we talked about last time with God's sovereignty and election and reprobation, uh, I think this just reinforces what we were discussing last time, that 
the Gentiles who did not seek after righteousness found it. They found the righteousness that comes from God, and that righteousness that we're talking about here is the one that we were discussing back in chapter 3, uh, that same righteousness of God. Let me just flip to it so we can, we can read it. Chapter 3, I think it's in verse 21, 24. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. And that's the righteousness that we're talking about here is this righteousness that comes from God. It's Christ's righteousness imputed to us um, and our um, sin imputed to him, the great exchange with our union with Christ. But what this shows is that... um, we weren't pursuing it as Gentiles. We were all pagans at one point in our lives. We were pagans, idolaters, atheists, scoffers, maybe even in our own lives. Or if we go back in, everyone that we know, uh, most likely, ancestors, our ancestors at one point were idolaters and pagans had God not intervened. And so we see that here that uh, none of us as Gentiles, if we're Gentiles, were pursuing any sort of righteousness. We were pursuing all manners of unrighteousness uh, and we're like Romans 1. We were uh, hostile to God. But God intervened with the righteousness that comes from Him and chose us to be part of the salvific plan in Christ. Um, and Israel, who was not pursuing, the, uh, who was pursuing the righteousness, uh, didn't find it. And what does Paul give the reason for there? In verse... 31, but that Israel who pursued a law that would lead to righteousness did not succeed in reaching that law. Why? Because they did not pursue it by faith, but as if it were based on works. They have stumbled over the stumbling stone. And so we see um, that Israel hated the Messiah. They stumbled over the stumbling stone. And that may be weird to think of, but Israel hated the Messiah. They hated Christ crucified. Uh, Not true Israel not the remnant, but ethnic Israel, hated the Messiah so much that they had him killed, and they became lost in works. They loved works so much that they even added 700 or so extra things to the law that they already weren't keeping. Uh, Regulations on top of regulations, probably precisely because they couldn't keep the law. Hmm. So they lowered it with their own regulations that they could keep. And I think an example of that... um, They strained out the gnat and they swallowed the camel. They tithed all the way down to their deal in cumin, but ignored the weightier matters like justice, mercy, and faith. And I think one of the better examples of this is that prove how much they love their works um, is in John 9. There's this interesting story. When I first read it, I didn't quite understand what was going on. But you remember when Jesus heals a man that was blind by spitting in the mud or spitting in the dirt? making mud, putting it on his eyes, and then there's this whole hoopla about him breaking the Sabbath. And at the time, I had no idea really why he chose to heal the man that way or why they were so mad about it that he had done it on the Sabbath. But I'm just going to read. Um, they were, they were, well, I won't read, but they, they were mad because he, of the manner in which he healed the blind man. He, he made mud with his spit and with the dirt. And... The Jews, there's this fascinating thing that you can go read. They had 39 categories of work where they have a list expanding out what does it mean 
to be doing work on the Sabbath. And they have 39 different categories. And in each category, there are so many little nuanced things to describe if you're working or if you're not working. Uh, they have so many regulations and rules. And in one of them, um, Jesus had amalgamated. Uh, that's what he had done. You know, how dare he amalgamate on the Sabbath? But Basically, what that means is mixing a water and a solid to make some sort of paste or dough-like substance was counted as working on the Sabbath. And Jesus did that right in front of them with his spit and with dirt, and that's the way he chose to heal, showing he was Lord of the Sabbath and many other things. He was confronting them in that way. Uh, But they loved the ladder climbing. They loved ladder climbing uh, more so than uh, finding the Lord who gave them the law. They loved just keeping it. And... At this point, though, I think, you know, that's obvious with what the text is saying. Uh, They became lost in their works. They did not pursue the works of the law by faith. Um, We may be tempted to think that, you know, how could they do something like that with the access that they had to the goodness of God and the way they had seen God work in their nation? But I think today the tides have shifted that we as Gentiles are in more of a similar situation to the Jews than we might think. We have benefited from God's word for so long and his grace for so long in the history of the church that we have just become steeped in religion. You know, there's, there's cultural Christianity. We live uh, in the Bible Belt. Um, just as the Jews love their law-keeping There, we can have our own cultural Christianity today, a more relaxed moralism, the same thing, sort of a blue jean moralism, a cool Christianity that uh, just grows up in the culture of it, thinking you may have heard the phrase, well, my daddy's a deacon, you know, I'm good. I have heard that from people. Um, And in just a few generations, truth, faith can descend into a culture that just is rule-keeping, religious snobbery, are simply going through the minimum motions, thinking that is enough to sustain us when we meet the living God. And a pastor named Steve Lawson says this, um, by way of application that we can learn from this, that it's so easy to fall into this rule-keeping and thinking our religion just comes down to doing or not doing instead of loving the Lord and loving our neighbor expressed perfectly through the law. We want to lower the standard um, You can think about it like we always, uh, like a smart person in a country school, they don't really have to try very hard, and they always make a good grade, and they're better than most of the class, and then they transfer to a a pretty astute college, and they realize that everybody else is just as smart. We think that if we do slightly better than the average of those around us, we're doing good enough, but the, the standard is perfection in God's law. And so Steve Lawson says this, how possible it is to be religious and lost, like the phrase, my daddy was a deacon, I'll be okay. Uh, He also says, to be completely sincere, but wrong. They honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. You know, they could be, Steve Lawson says, they could be singing the best of hymns and the nicest sounding things, but their heart is far uh, from the living God. We can have full heads and empty hearts. We can come to church, but never to Christ. It's Entirely possible to know the pastor, but to not know God. To go to church, serve, give, spend time uh, with the people of the church. But it's all cultural. It's all works. It's being religious, but it's having no faith. So I think that's the lesson for us there. It's, uh, do we have true faith, and 
coming off the heels of the funeral yesterday, I've never been to a funeral like that, ever, where you are so certain that this person had a living and abiding faith. It wasn't just a religion. They did all those things. We, you know, we go to church. We want to do all those things. But it wasn't just a cultural thing. You could feel it. It was a palpable thing, this living and abiding faith that we saw from Liliana's life uh, that has touched so many of us in her death and passing. And then the living and vibrant faith of Scott as he went through this trial. And we got to see from his group me messages and then from his remarkable um, teaching yesterday at his wife's funeral, this, this intensity and vibrancy of his faith that God sustained through this trial was so different. And that's what we want to have, this true and abiding faith, not just a cultural or religious Christianity, but one that... Um, just exudes the righteousness of Christ through a living faith. I just thought it was amazing to see that yesterday in the flesh. Yeah, absolutely. Josh, can you give us some more tidbits? No, that was excellent. I think just a few other things. George Whitfield once said, we'd have better luck reaching heaven uh, than uh, with works than trying to climb a rope made of sand. I mean, it's just absolutely impossible that we could measure up to the perfection that God demands in His law. And um, that was what the Israelites were trying to do, creating all of these rules and commandments to keep. And as a result, they stumbled over the stumbling block. Christ was the door, the, the entrance into salvation through faith in His perfect life and righteousness. And uh, we know it was by election that God was calling the Gentiles to uh, believe in this, and they tapped into this righteousness through faith, faith that is a gift. And I think what Grant is saying, this idea that there's a righteousness by works is abroad today, maybe not in the same rules and commandments uh, that the Israelites were trying to construct, but in things like baptism or participating in the Lord's Supper or, you know, I think even creating your own moral code. There are, there are many moral creeds and standards that our culture has set forth and uh, people think that by abiding by those that, that God will accept them. And that is simply not true. And so uh, I think you mentioned it, Grant, but there, there can be this idea of very earnest, genuine zeal, uh, but it's devoid of knowledge, which is exactly what the Israelites had. Um, verse 2 of chapter 10, Paul says, For I bear them witness that they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. For being ignorant of the righteousness of God and seeking to establish their own, they did not submit to God's righteousness. And uh, how thankful we are for Christ who has come, and by faith we trust in His um, life, and His life, His righteous life is imputed to us, and God counts us righteous, and that's the ultimate status that we most desperately need. Yep, two just quick quotes, quotes one from Calvin. The first step in obtaining the righteousness of God is to note that uh, our most righteous acts are unrighteous. Secondly, Leon Morris, once we grasp the decisive nature of Christ's saving work, we see the irrelevance of all legalism. Grant, if you would pray for us, um, and especially thank you for uh, that really good insight on the application here on this passage. Heavenly Father, thank you for this day that we can gather together um, as our local body and worship you, the triune God. And Father, I pray that we would worship you in spirit and in truth today, 
um, with zeal and with knowledge. Father, thank you for the life of Liliana and from all the comments today um, about her and, and about Scott, Father. Thank you for their example of a vibrant living and abiding faith. Um, Father, I pray that it would impact many as they hear about it and would be uh, an instrument that would turn many towards you in repentance. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.